We have uh, a number of things going on beginning this month, but today I'll direct you to the teams that are present out in the atrium and just be cognizant of that as we walk through this content today that we're going to lead with uh, a sermon, but end with a practical way that you can begin getting connected in a deeper way to Christ. We're glad you're here, glad to start a new year. I want to remind us we're in the middle of a campaign of $4 million. We got about, excuse me, about 3.4 million in commitments. About 700,000 has been given already, which is awesome, which is awesome. We have 377 units or families or people that have committed, and that is a tremendous number in this era, a tremendous number, and we thank you, but we want to get to that $4 million goal. Our, our goal is to break ground this year on uh, the construction that will go on outside in renovating this place, and we want you to be a part of that. So if you haven't done that yet, we would, we would just go to the information counter, get connected to the people you need to ask questions to, and um, do your part in making this happen. We're so glad you're here. So glad to start a new year. I want to show you something uh, that is coming up beginning next weekend. For four weeks, we're going to be in a series, Marriage is a Numbers Game. And this series combines the Enneagram with an analysis biblically of marriage. And so if for those of you who are not familiar, the Enneagram is the tool we use for self-discovery. It is a, a very, a, really an ancient tool that is a sin finder more than it's a strengths finder. For me, it's been valuable because it has given me a clear path of what I need to grow in very simply, very powerfully. We use this with Players Box. So students who go through Players Box learn the Enneagram. Parents who go through Players Box learn the Enneagram. Well, what we're going to do is say, how do the numbers match up? Like if you're a, you know, a, a three married to a nine, How does that match up? Well, one of the things we're going to discover is that some number matches need extra grace. (laughs) Some, and you're in there, oh, that's that's it, that's us, yeah. And, And I just, I'm excited about this. But one of the things about a series like this is it is a great opportunity to resurrect your habit of inviting, inviting, inviting. Philemon 6 Uh, In the New Testament is one of my life verses. I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you can have a great understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. This is one of the things that people in churches miss out on, that they think that my faith is based on what I get, and it's actually not. It's on what you do with what you get. Is, is the issue. And actually, the prophet Ezekiel shared this imagery one time to the people. He said, some of you are like swamps, and there's water going in, but there's no water coming out. And that's what a swamp is, and it becomes kind of stinky. And so it's critical that with our faith that we are constantly looking for people to invite. It is critical to our faith. We get to see the gospel work in the lives of the people that it does connect with. Well, this, how many of you know marriages that are in trouble? And need help. And this series, uh, we're, we're really excited about it. What we have planned, we're going to do a lot of role playing. So you get to see maybe your numbers acted out here on the stage. And you go, 
Oh my gosh, they're bugging our house now. How did they know that that's going on with us? And very excited about that starting next week. So invite friends. There's probably few series we do that are as evangelistic in outreach as marriage series. People like to come to those kind of things, so we'd love for you to be a part of that. Another thing is... Uh, Last year, Don Buttry gave me a book. He said, Charlie, I think you'll love this. It's called Reunion by Brooksy Cavey, a writer, The Good News of Jesus for Seekers, Saints, and Sinners. And this book is a great summary of the content today and our mission to connect people to Christ, not religion. So if you're looking at, maybe you're starting your journey and you need, what's this all about? Uh, Brooksy does a great job of, of the basics, going back to Genesis of our faith and why Jesus came to fulfill religion and do away with it. I know some are like, wait, wait a minute, wait, wait, what? Yeah, that's right. Jesus came to do away with religion for religion's sake and lead us into a relationship that transcends religion. After we're done with the marriage series, we're going to go into an eight-week series called Life Beyond Religion. And it's the life that really Jesus came to offer us. This book, if you're looking for something to read, Reunion by Brooksy Cavey. Now, I want to show you something that if you had psychology 101 in college, you, have, you, you had a class or two or 10 on this. And that, is, many of you will recognize this. This is called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Abraham Maslow was an American psychologist. And uh, he developed this very famous map of human growth and development. And his whole premise was that there is a, a precedent toward us achieving what he called self-actualization, which is just a fancy way of saying being your best self, reaching a place of contentment, and the best version of you comes out. And his premise was that, that if physiological needs, breathing, food, water, shelter, clothing, sleep are not met, it doesn't, the rest doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that those have to be met. And then, that, then we begin to concern ourselves with safety and security, health, employment, property, family, social stability, uh, which has been the thing about COVID that has really messed with us is because as Americans, we are the first generation in human history that expects life to be easy. And when it's not, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And so the, to me, the fascinating thing about COVID has been life wasn't, da- uh, life wasn't safe before COVID. You know that, right? Like a little letter on one of your chromosomes goes off, you're, you're terminally dead. There's only one way to be dead. That's terminally. You're terminally ill. I mean, so, so life's going to be dangerous before COVID, during COVID, after COVID. It's dangerous. When you drive out of here today, does everybody know that you're putting your hands in the, your life in the hands of people who are driving right towards you? You know, some of them in our parking lot, right, before you leave. So, so if that's not met, then, you know, once that's met, then, we, then, we really, then we'll go to love and belonging, friendship, family, intimacy, sense of connection. Then we'll go, once we have those needs met, we'll go to self-esteem, where we begin to experience confidence, achievement, respect of others, the need to be a unique individual. And then that's when we reach maturity. That's when we're fully actualized, which is just a fancy way of saying the real you, the, the potential of you, comes out. Now, theologians, if you don't know this, have debated the merits of Maslow's hierarchy. And one of the contentions, and this is one I would agree with, is I love this, because I love it as a map of kind of seeing where people are. And even for me, just looking at COVID through the lens of Maslow has been kind of fascinating. But here's my contention that a lot of theologians contend with Maslow on. 
Faith is a game changer. Faith is something that when it's operative, it transcends this. It does. That self-actualization in biblical terms or theological terms, it's called sanctification. The experience of you dying and the real you and Christ being formed, that's, that would be the theological way of putting it, can actually be experienced when none of those needs are being met. Now, I don't recommend that life, but it's true. And, 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 and I want you to see something. I want you to see something. These words, this guy who wrote these words had no idea that some church in Miami Township, Ohio in the year 2022 would be reading these words because they were just a letter. They were a letter. They were a letter written about AD 61 from his house arrest under the Imperial Rome for preaching the gospel of Christ and upsetting the social order of Rome. And while he was imprisoned, he wrote letters to churches. One of them was a little church in Philippi, the Roman town of Philippi. And this church was struggling with some attitudinal problems. And he writes while in prison and he says these words. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned. I know that. But you had no opportunity to show it. They were actually going to help meet some of Paul's physiological needs while he was imprisoned. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned. Notice that. That's a progression over time. Not, oh, one day I was content. No, I have learned to be content when all five levels of Maslow are met, is that what it says? Whatever the circumstances. Now look at that, look at that, look at that. As Americans, we're trained to be thermometers. We go up and down based on what's happening to us. Paul says, I'm a thermostat. I have set my eyes on Christ and I affect my circumstances in terms of my attitude. My attitude's not so much affected by my circumstances. Big difference between a thermometer and a thermostat, isn't there? Because the thermometer is just subject to the whims of what's going on. But a thermostat affects its surroundings because it is set. Now, then he says this. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. He grew up in an aristocratic house, probably. Uh, his name was, was Saulos, Saul, Jewish name. And he was Paulos. He was a Roman citizen. So he knew what it was to have relative wealth. Uh, but he said, I know what it is to be in need. Now, what's amazing about Paul is his wealth was, he didn't have a TV, an HD, an AC, a PC, and, uh, a GMC, a BMW, an SUV, an ATV. He didn't have any of that. And he was, had plenty. Isn't that amazing? Uh, you know, you're, now I just uh, got you going on. Yeah, I don't have an ATV either, and I really want one, you know. <laughs> I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, remember the bottom level of Maslow, whether living in plenty or in want, say this sentence with me. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. 
In the original Greek language, all things is first, which is a, was, would be the equivalent of our bolding, italicizing. All things, in those things, I have the strength I need through Christ. All things. So this is really crazy because I don't know in the, in the second day of the year 2022 that America needs anything more than this. We are the most discontented people have to be relative to how we have it in the history of the world. It's just amazing. I know, it's the, those people out there, not you. Not, not you. You're not that way, I know. But what, do we need this? As a, as a country, oh my gosh, we so need this. Now we think that contentment is the same thing as not having ambition. That's not true. Contentment does not mean I have no ambition. That contentment is nothing needs to change. That's not contentment. That, that, that's not the same thing. Contentment is not the Buddhist elimination of desire. Just, just go neutral. Let's not feel. It's not that. Contentment is the ever increasing reality that it takes less to give me great joy. Less and less and less. The American way is it takes more and more and more. That's the American way. I'm never satisfied because there's always more. Now, part of the reason for this is advertising, which is created to stimulate discontentment. Part of the reason for this is media, both mass media and social media. The only way they get eyeballs is to create discontentment. Part of this is many of us have grown up around affluence. Part of this is many of us just grew up spoiled. And we are the first generation of Israel that expects life to be easy. And when it's not, we can't be content. When lives like the Apostle Paul, and if we had time, we could list a hundred other followers of Christ down through the ages, many of the martyrs who said, no, 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 no. Oh no, my faith in Christ transcends Maslow. It's a great math to kind of see how the human condition is in and of itself, sure. But my life transcends my circumstances. My faith in Christ. It is that powerful. Here's, here's a great illustration of this that, that feeds me. One of the great thinkers of our time, Dallas Willard, he was a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California many years. I think one of the great thinkers ever, especially in the 20th and 21st century. He, um, Sherry and I the other day were saying, what are the books that you would keep if you only had five to keep? One in each area, history, religion, et cetera. And I said, when it came to matters of discipleship, it would be The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. There's no book that changed my life like that book did. And when he got pancreatic cancer, he said something. He said, I am so living. And this was over many years. He had learned, like Paul, he had learned this. It wasn't just he woke up one day and he was content within the reality of Christ. He said, I have so learned to live within the present kingdom of Christ. It is so real to me that when I die, someone will probably have to tell me. That's it. That, there, there, that over time, and believe me, this is not microwave. This is over time. I have learned to be content. I have learned this deep abiding thermostatic joy that, that I can't be beaten because no matter what circumstances come my way, that thermostat's not changing. 
And you may sit there and go, my faith is so weak. There's no way that's possible for me. It is. It is so possible for you. It takes years. It takes a daily stacking days on top of each other, stacking certain things of solitude, scripture, service, support, and significant events, stacking those on top of each other. And one day you look back and say, when I die, I think somebody's going to have to tell me. It's just so real to me. Now, why don't we have that? Well, as I said, everything in American culture is, is designed to contradict this. Everything in American culture is designed to create discontentment. And so if you allow yourself to just live in this culture, you will, you will in the words of Paul to the Romans, you're, you're going to have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't fall anymore into the pattern of this world. If you don't intentionally say, I'm going to live a different way, you will go toward constant discontentment, the constant need for more. There's an old story Billy Graham used to tell about a guy who heard a woman scream. They were on the banks of a swollen, angry river, and she heard a woman scream, oh, my son, my son, he's fallen into the river. And the guy with no, with no regard for his own life jumps into the river and he finds the little boy and he drags him onto the side of the river, onto the bank. And he performs CPR and he resuscitates that boy. And the boy comes back to consciousness. And the man kind of looks up at the woman expecting her to be incredibly appreciative. And, and she looks at him and she says, sir, he had a hat. And that's, it's not a true story. So, I mean, some of you... <laughs> Some of you who are nines on the Enneagram are going, oh my gosh, that's awful. Uh, this is the American way. God, where's my hat? Where's my hat? Spouse, where's my hat? Neighborhood, school, church, it's unbelievable how we constantly put on, where's my hat? If you want to, I mean, expectations are, are the killer of all relationships. If you expect something, you'll never really be grateful for it because it's expected. And you're always looking for what you don't have. And this is so powerful because the key to this is, Paul says, the key to this is my connection to Christ. It is this deep abiding connection to Christ that has given me this capacity to transcend my circumstances. One of my favorite sites is the Babylon Bee, and it's a satirical, satirical site that um, Republicans, Democrats, preachers, worship leaders, nobody, nobody is off limits of their satirical representation of truth. And they're very controversial. CNN has tried to have them banned. And, and you know, Twitter has tried to have them banned. So, they're, I mean, they, they hit everybody. And something they put on yesterday uh, was this couple on their couch, and they're saying, wow, what a terrible year, say people living at the absolute peak of human civilization. <laughs> and then, I mean, like, what a terrible year 2021 has. And yet, our circumstances are, uh, the numbers show that, that actually life in so many ways is better than it has ever been. You're saying, what your world do you live in? Yes, the numbers show it. And yet, we can't say with Paul, I've learned to be content. And the reason is, many, many, many people in America have an injection of religion. 
but they don't have a relationship with Christ that can say, I can do all things through him. He gives me the strength of his grace to go through no matter what I go through and not just survive, but actually thrive within that. Now, what is the key to this? I've learned to be content no matter what the circumstances. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. One of the images of scripture that starts presenting us with the key to this and learning this and developing this is the image that David gives in Psalm 23 where he gives that famous image that is the picture of contentment. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green passages, leave me beside quiet waters. And then he goes on to say these words, my cup runs over. Now I want you to look at that because... This imagery of a cup, it's one we use around here a lot, is so much embodying the John 10.10, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. One of the things we do in the West is we look at a statement like that in terms of a quantitative way. Like I have so many good things in my life that, that I can't keep them all, which is great. But actually the imagery is one of a qualitative statement. That, what well, we, would, we would say it this way. Like, I love Dr. Pepper. When I really want to treat myself, I'm a pepper. I love Dr. Pepper. So last night, uh, New Year's Day, I had a Dr. Pepper. I don't have it very often, but a, a sherry doesn't like it, which not any, not, not any, you know, nobody's perfect, you know. <laughs> she doesn't like Dr. Pepper, but I love Dr. Pepper. So last night, before the game, popped open a Dr. Pepper, and what happened when I popped that open? It just kind of fizzed. And this is the imagery that's so cool here. Look at this, look at this. Is not only do the contents of my cup have a relative fullness, but it's not two-day-old been sitting on the counter Dr. Pepper stuff either. It's got fizz. It runs over. Like when I pour it into my cup, it runs over. And this is the thing that's different. And you say, why is Christ needed? Why do we need to connect people to Christ? Is you can have all the Dr. Pepper you want, but without Christ, it's two-day-old been open sitting on the counter, Dr. Pepper. It's, it's just flat. C.S. Lewis once said, if you aim for this life, you'll miss this life and the eternal life. But if you aim for the eternal life, you'll get the eternal life and this life. And that's the imagery of my cup runs over. Now, the question with that is, why is that true? Why is it true that Christ not only fills the contents of my life, but with good fizzy stuff that has great meaning, thrills that fulfill? Here is why. A connected relationship with Christ creates an authentic, increasing sense of gratitude. This, you want to know the secret of contentment? It's that word. And what Christ does is there's this amazing paradox in our lives. The closer we get to Christ, the more he becomes real in our life, the more we realize, oh my gosh, my life is so graced. I looked, used to look at my life that I wanted more, 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 more. And if I had more, 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 and I went up the pyramid of self-actualization, and I finally had everything I wanted, then I would be happy and I would be content. And now I realize even the simplest things in my life are graces. And so look at this. The question that I want you to ask yourself, take a picture of this, because this is the one America needs to ask itself. Do I see my life as underserved or undeserved? Because this binary question will determine your level of contentment with your life. 
The closer you grow to Christ, the more real he becomes as you live in the present kingdom of Christ, the more the paradox of undeservedness will create gratitude, which creates contentment. I'm not always looking FOMO at what I'm missing out on. I see what I have that I don't deserve. And this is the amazing paradox of Christ because what I don't have that I deserve creates bitterness and resentment. That prolongs brokenness. The problem with brokenness that is just perpetual is this, is that no matter what comes into your cup, your cup's broken. You ever tried to love someone whose cup is broken and no matter what love content you pour into their cup, it's never enough. It's never enough. Because you're just filling love into a cup that is broken and it just keeps leaking. What Christ does is he begins to heal, look at this, he he begins to heal this with uh, a posture of undeservedness which leads to gratefulness and that's what heals our cup runneth over. That's what begins to say, oh my gosh, not only are the contents of my life so much more and so much richer than I ever could have deserved, the reality is, is I, my soul can hold those things now. One of the most frustrating things in life, why I love that song we sang to start the day, is how shame takes over people's lives. And really, in the imagery, shame is that person that their cup is all broken and, and they're always testing your love. So you always gotta keep pouring, it's never enough, it's never enough, it's never enough. And there comes that day when grace starts making whole out of gratitude. Not about what I don't have, but everything I have is undeserved. And our soul can now hold the goodness of God. Our soul can now hold it. Do you see why? Do you see why connection to Christ is absolutely essential? Because there's no other faith that is based on grace. Every other religion in the world is about going upward, striving, striving. Someday you may be good enough. Who knows? The last words that Buddha spoke was strive continuously. The last words Jesus spoke were it is finished. That's the difference. The work is done. You live out of contentment and rest. You don't live out of proving. You don't live out of constantly striving to survive. You live out of thriving because he has graced you. And so one of the things we have around here, and those of you who are in our discipleship movement of the city lights, you know this already, but one of the ways we say that is the simplest way to connect people to Christ is just get everyone into learning Christ and connecting to Christ through the up, in, and out life. It's the simplest way to understand this. The up life is solitude and scripture, and these are the things I do to connect my relationship to God directly. You're doing that right now through worship and teaching. The in life is my relationship with other people, where I find my tribe, I find my people, and we're building into each other. We serve and are served. We love and are loved. And and we build and are built into. And, and when you find that community, it, there's nothing like it because you get to see Christ in people. And then the out is where we serve the world. Uh, a lot of people can do these two, but this is really critical because your faith is really going to be measured 
in relation to your ability to let go of it and give it away and give it away. And sometimes it's just through serving where you give your faith away. And this is the way that we connect people to Christ. And uh, that's our mission. That's not about religion. It's not about, hey, if you'll attend these amount of services every month and if you'll do that, that, no, that's just religion. We want you to live this life and actually being a part of this right now, for example, is a part of that, but this doesn't magically bring Christ to you. It has to be a practice. And look at this, look at this. This is just another way to say when you build these into your life over time, you, I speak the truth here, you will be able to say with Dallas Willard someday, when I die, somebody's gonna have to tell me. Because the present reality of Christ will be so real in your life that brings a contentment that no matter what comes your way, you can't be beaten. Because whether living in plenty or in want, whether hungry or well-fed, no matter where you are in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Christ transcends that. He transcends that. Now, here's, here's the question with this, is then how do we do that? Well, we have five teams. We realized late last year that everything we do is really under the umbrella of five teams to actualize this one dream of connection to Christ. It is more needed than ever. And so look at yourself right now through this, and this may be where you find your up, in, and out practice, your rhythm of life that's up, in, and out. You may not even do anything different than what you're doing right now, but now you're intentional about living it up, in, and out. Some of you may find something new to do as a part of one of these teams. First team, reverie. Reverie operates in that side of our building that's over there on the south and is the chapel and the atrium over there and the reception area. And through reverie, we connect people to Christ through significant life events. The thousands of people that are going through reverie every year. We have a wedding this afternoon. We, we had over 100 last year. We, uh, some amazing stuff happening in reverie. And so we say, let's, let's be at that pivot point of significant life events for people and we will begin the journey for a lot of people connecting to Christ. There are people in this room right now that their connection to Southbrook via then Christ came through a reverie event. It's not just weddings and funerals we're doing. Real estate companies and all kinds of companies that are using our site and they get on here and it is an introduction. Now, here, here's the thing. Look at this. One of the things, I said, Saul, what do you guys need? He said, one of the things we need are more people who love, they have a sense of hospitality and they would, be, they would be willing to be trained to give people tours, which would be just an introduction. Give people tours. They're really skilled at hospitality. They, they, they care about people. They like being around people. And we, we need more people who can give tours. Now, let me, let me add a caveat to that. If you really don't like people and you don't think weddings should be a very big deal, we don't want you stepping in the atrium over there. We don't want you anywhere near reverie. Just like all these things, it, it really is about how you're wired. Some of you are not, you, no way are we going to let you host anything. That's just not your thing, okay? And so, but if that's you, you say, you know what? I would love to serve Christ by being that. I, I'm, the, I'm the front porch, which is, reverie is so much the front porch of, before people come into the house of how, how they get connected. Here's the second one. Second team, player's box. Many of you know this. We are connecting to parents and students through the context of pressure, athletically, artistically, academically. And this is really going to kick in next fall. 
where, and then when the building is complete, we're going to need people who are in campus uh, involvement, who move chairs, who move uh, equipment, people who do a lot of hospitality, hosting on the atrium for all the events that this place is going to hold six days a week. And so this one is really going to kick in starting next fall, but you can, you can begin that process of being trained to be a part of meeting families where they are within this culture that performance is an idol. It is. Performance isn't bad, but it's become an idol of self-actualization. And it, let's show Christ in that. Number three, city lights. City lights is how we connect people to Christ through service, discipleship, and community. This is the core splitting of the atom of the up, in, and out life. And we've divided our church into communities based on communities at large within Dayton. And this is a great way to begin your journey of finding your tribe, getting uh, connected at a level that is up, in, and out. And this, this is our ministry that if Martians ever come and steal our building, our church will flourish still without a building. Because it, we, this is the part, this is our church, all of us going outside our building. That's number three. Number four is, to this point, Martians haven't stolen our building. So we have a campus, and we have campus gatherings that happen. This is one of them. Men's and women's ministry on Wednesdays and Thursdays are, are, are one of them. And we connect people to Christ through worship, discipleship, and teaching. Great way to begin the up, in, and out journey. Uh, you can start that today. Great way to do that is through those, those groups. And then the last one, number five, is pastoral care, is where we connect people to Christ through crisis intervention. We give in counseling services. We give away. We don't charge for counseling. We give about four to $500,000 a year away in free counseling. It's not free. You pay for that. And I cannot tell you how often people will come up to me and say, thank you for providing the counseling. It changed my life. And they don't even attend our church. They don't attend our church. Thank you for being a part of that. And I have nothing to do with that. Randy Kramer has trained dozens and dozens of counselors who meet people where they are in a pastoral way to intervene. We also have support groups that are led in an amazing way by people in recovery. Um, incredible intervention that's taking place at the moment of people's crisis, which is happening a lot. Now, everything we do is out of those five teams. Uh, one of the things I'm proud of is our dis disaster response team. They operate out of city lights, actually. They're a, they're, they're a manifestation of going in. So when our disaster response team goes to Mayfield, Kentucky, and serves, that, that, is, that is coming out of this idea that we're going to be a light to our world. Where's your, where's your, where's your tribe? It's a frustrating thing to find your tribe, it is. It's not easy. But if you'll put yourself in a context where you can begin to experience up, in, and out, you'll eventually find your tribe, especially if you go into it out of a full cup of trying to serve others, not to have your cup filled. I went out to find a friend and could not find one there. I went out to be a friend and friends were everywhere. What Christ does is he fills our cup with fizz and we begin having something that we never could have dreamed we had. And it's a contentment that nothing in life can replace. 
Dallas Willard also said, as we get older and the body decreases, it gives room for the spirit to increase. And this is so true. Maybe your life's not where you want it to be physically, relationally, but even in that pain, you can learn to be content. Why? Christ who gives you the strength. I could make you the most contented, ready to serve God out of gratitude person in Dayton if I wanted to. Here's how I'd do it. I'd call you tomorrow and say, your lawyer contacted us and wants you to know that you're being sued and you're gonna lose the lawsuit and you're gonna lose everything. You're gonna lose everything. You'll be totally bankrupt. I'd have the doctor, your doctor call and she would say to you, we've seen your latest tests and you have six months to live and it's going to be painful. I'd have a friend call you and say, the three people closest to you in life that you treasure most have been in a serious accident and are gone. I would call you and tell you that there's an article coming out this week that's gonna be all the world broadcast and media and it's going to state without a doubt that the claims of Christ are false. Your faith is futile. What you've been hoping in is a sham. And after you've experienced all of that, I would then call you and tell you, none of that's true. None of that's happening. You still have all your resources, all your loved ones, your health, your faith. And after you punched me in the face, <laughs> if I sold that, you would be the most contented person in Dayton, just as you are right now. You would be a thermostat of contentment. Why? Because through Christ, we can choose contentment. Even the circumstances that are not ideal. And when you do that, your life becomes this. You don't have to be told to serve with joy. You say, I live the undeserved life, not the underserved. I am undeserved and I want to serve. Where can I make my world more connected to Christ? How can I deepen my connection to Christ so that my life has more fizz that runs over the edges of my glass? And if that's the life you want, it has been shown in history that the life we're offering of up in and out is the way to get there. Anybody want that? Anybody want that? I hope you do. Because nobody wants to be two-day-old Dr. Pepper on the counter. The last thing we're going to do today is give you an opportunity to physically embody the connection to Christ through the body and blood symbols. And we don't believe that this becomes the body and blood of Christ, but it symbolizes in a physical way that we take in Christ and that Christ in you is the hope of glory, that he lives in you and you live in him. And one day you can't wait till you're at that point where somebody will have to tell you that you died. You're living so much in the reality of the present kingdom of Christ. Amen? So I'd love for you to do that today before you leave and start your year out with grace. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for so much. Our lives are not meant to be religiously dutiful. 
but graciously overflowing. I didn't ask to be born in 1961 to hardworking parents who liked to read and, and just there were faithful Christians and I didn't ask for that. I, I was born on third base. And, and I know that so many other people here can say the same thing. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. And if we can't say that, then we needed this message today because we're here. May today, through the prayer that we have offered to make this hour transformative, may this be the day that many of us have said, I'm going to stop asking God, where's my hat? That I'm going to be so thankful for everything that comes my way. That 1201 this morning, a deposit of mercy and grace was put into my account. And I live in the overflowing reality that transcends a pyramid of needs. And anything beyond that is just, oh, we're so grateful. So we thank you now. And we go into this week as people, our cup runs over. In Christ we pray. And everyone said? Amen. See you next week, everybody, for Marriage is a Numbers Game.